AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience. And stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When I write you all across the USC, Compton, Watts, Bay to LA, Pomona, California, from valley to valley, we represent that killer county. So if you're keeping it real on your side of your town, you tune in to Gangster Chronicles. Gangster Chronicles, we gon' tell you how it goes. If I lie, my nose will grow like Pinocchio. We gon' tell you the truth and nothing but the truth. Gangster Chronicles, this is not your average show. You're now tuned into the real MCA, Big James, and Big Stale. Strictly from the streets. Hello. We represent the James. Welcome to the Gangster Chronicles podcast, a production of iHeartRadio and Black Effect Podcast Network. Make sure you download the iHeart app and subscribe to the Gangster Chronicles. For my Apple users, hit the purple mic on your front screen, subscribe to the Gangster Chronicles, and leave a five-star rating and comment. We'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of the Gangster Chronicles podcast. It's your boy, Big Steel, and I'm here with my dog tonight. Big J. Big Court. What's cracking? Oh, man. Same old thing, man. You know, um... We had some bad news come down to shoot this weekend, man. Tobin Copson passed away. 
Yeah. You know, one of the early members of the No Limit Records family, you know, he was really instrumental as those guys made the transition from just being a local record label to going on to doing amazing things for which you know firsthand, Court, because you was around during those times. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, I signed with with No Limit in 1995. And uh when I signed with No Limit, um, and when I flew out to uh Oakland, Pia flew us out to Oakland and Tobin, of course, was vice president at the time. And uh, that's where I first came to meet him. Super cool dude, uh, super intelligent, um, you know, very well spoken, very articulate. He was at that time kind of like, um, I would say the face on the business side, you know what I mean? Because he was so polished and well spoken, he, he could get into those doors that that would, it was a little easier for him to get in and Pete um, still representing No Limit. Um, and even after the split, him from No Limit, which was soon thereafter that I got to No Limit. Um, I did some albums with him as well, with me and mine entertainment, probably like uh, 97, 98. He actually mm -hmm. helped with my CCG projects. Um, and, you know, always a cool dude, uh, always willing to give some information, share some knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Um, and even as of recently, uh, he, it was an overseas play for my back catalog. And he put me up on that, didn't ask for a dime. You know what I'm saying? So, man, uh, you know, very, very ethical dude, as far as I knew. Um, cool dude, man. You know, so uh, rest in peace to Tobin. Um, you know, condolences to his family, his son, his daughter, his wife, Adina, who I knew that, you know, he loved very much. He, I've been hearing Adina's name 20 plus years back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, family guy. So good guy. Rest in peace, bro. And, and definitely right. a right. very intuitive person. You know, I, I believe he was, um, teaching class he was actually a professor at cal berkeley yeah if i'm not yeah. mistaken oh wow yeah you know he was yeah. just a, a very good guy man and um yeah. he was able to maneuver through different crowds like and he's hooked me up it's almost like he's still working the afterlife we actually licensed a piece of content from a guy deandre airball and where from the bay mm -hmm. that's like one of the renowned artists and i remember tobin hitting me up like man i need you to get with my boy man you need to put the, his story on your platform yeah. And just an incredible dude, man. So prayers to him, his family, and his children. And I know James, you suffered some losses this weekend as well. Yeah, well, actually, I was I have two club brothers from Chosen Few just passed away. My ride or die monster and my boy Bear. Uh I'm talking about some real cats. I don't care what it was, if we had an issue, they was there. Uh and I'm talking about all the way from Las Vegas to to Oakland, from Las Vegas to St. Louis. You know, they was always willing and ready to go. And then my other club brother, Chill, you know, he lost his mom the other day too. So, you know, three in a week. So, you know, in Monster and Chill is cousin. So, Man, I, I send my condolences to Chill, his moms, and you know his cousin Monster. You know those my brothers. You know, yeah, condolences, saying? condolences to you, uh, brother. You know what I mean, and to their families right. as well. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. And, and before we go into um, tonight's subject, man, um, I wanted to say something real quick. I don't know if it's because we're getting older, or it's because it's just, you know, in the black community, man, we suffer from trauma. And we usually start suffering from trauma at a young age. We just don't know what it is. You know, we may hear about a friend dying in school, a classmate. 
And it just becomes all too common in our communities. Um, I believe Tobin passed away from a heart condition. And Tobin wasn't a fat person. Tobin wasn't out of shape. He just wasn't the typical, you know, when you think about people having a heart attack, you usually think about people being obese, you know, suffering from morbid obesity. Um, or, or having that, bad you know, habits. Or having bad, bad habits, yeah. you know, bad living habits. But Tobin was actually one of the cleanest people I knew. For sure. So let's go out there and uh, make sure health is wealth. Health is true wealth. I don't care how much money you have. It, it does you no good being six feet underground. Um, your family tall. needs you here. Mm -hmm. And you need to be here for yourself. Be selfish. So, right. you know, kind of like, I'm sorry not to cut you off, but like we were talking about yesterday, uh, still, um, I think, you know, us is especially as minorities, as black men, we got to really focus on um, preventative health care. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Because we already, you know, have these these uh, genetic dispositions. You know what I mean? We already mm -hmm. at a disadvantage uh, genetically. So I think a lot of times. Uh, uh, man, get your checkups, you know what I'm saying? Like we was talking about before, get your prostate checkup, get your, your blood pressure, just go for your physical so you can, you know, God forbid, if it's something wrong, you can catch it. And then the other part of it is, get some life insurance. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Get some life insurance. So that way, when, cause listen, none of us are gonna make it out alive. You know what I mean? None of us are gonna make it out of here alive. So get some life insurance so at least your people can be straight. It ain't even like you got to lead them millions of dollars, but at least bare minimum, leave them enough to be able to bury you. You know what I'm saying? So they don't have to stress for that. And life insurance is a couple dollars a month, you know? Right. Exactly. And that's what right. I was going to say. You know, you can go get a hundred thousand dollar policy, bro. And I think it's maybe $11 a month, depending on your health, depending on if you don't depending smoke or certain, you know, certain things, right. if you drink, if you smoke or raise it up, but still, <clears throat> you know, not just to bury you, but, so your family can pay your bills because, believe it or not, debt, death does not absolve you of your debts. Right, right. It doesn't. So if you owe taxes, if you owe anybody money, they still come after your family. So leave enough money to bury you and yeah. pay for them back taxes that you may owe. And just that way, so this is going to be a difficult transition for them already. Yeah. You don't want to make it more difficult by adding that financial burden. Man, listen, the worst right. thing, you, you see so many young niggas in the hood that'll get to a little bit of money. You know what I'm saying? They have some jewelry, they have some cars, they'll have all the little accoutrements of, of street success. They get knocked down, their family gotta do a GoFundMe. You know, it don't they make gotta no They gotta do a GoFundMe because you know I'm gonna tell saying? you, when you in the game, anybody that owes a debt to you, it's not like they gonna come and give your mama that money. Mm -hmm. It's not like they gonna come and get homies that money or, or nothing else, that's gone. So. In a lot of cases, I've seen it where some brothers been well off and their parents don't know where the money is at. They don't know where the money is. Happen every time. Every time. Know Nobody where knows where at. the money is. Yep. And the baby mama probably got it and she ain't oh, saying yeah. that. But oh, yeah. somebody knows it. where that money is at. Somebody's got <laughs> yeah. that money. You know, the broad yeah. the broad across town got it. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but but that's sure. how we are though. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us want to live secret lives. We got all this money. We don't want the family to know where it's at, but like myself, you know, I'm preparing for my grandkids. You know, my mm -hmm. kids is grown. I'm preparing for my grandkids so they can be good. Yeah. So, you know, at least be ready for that. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. don't want I don't want them out there washing cars to bury me. Mm -hmm. exactly. I, don't, I don't want that. So fish fries and shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what you t shirt either. So, that's, yeah, it's exactly. a big bro. You got to be ready. Exactly. Be ready. Exactly. You know, um, I want to go in and talk about desegregation, which was real big in my era, Corey. I, I, I know it was big in my era, James. Did it start in your era a little bit where they started trying to ship you guys off from Compton yeah. to the other areas, nicer areas? So, I guess, you know, the United States had this. Um, plan that they were going to unite the world or whatever, right? So they started really, you know, busting us from the east side of Cleveland to the west side and vice versa. When after we left middle school, you would see the white guys from the west side in our high school on the east side. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was having a conversation with Glasses earlier today, and we kind of spoke about that. And um, all of this came about, you know, there have been a couple of things over the last week or so, you know, the Pictures came up with Jerry Jones of him at this um, anti-desegregation rally or whatever it was. And they had a picture of him. He probably was a little kid back then. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure the era they were in, Jerry Jones is an old man. He's a geriatric man pretty much for all practical yep. purposes. He has to be in his 70s, if not his 80s, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure during that time, he was a part of that little crowd. And so I'm not getting in here to bash him tonight because we don't know what he was doing there. He could have just been right. a kid there looking. Like most kids, right. think we always got our nose in something or involved in something we have no business doing. And we don't even know what's going on. Exactly. But I wonder, man, from a standpoint, sometimes if some instances of desegregation may have hurt the black community. Well, um, let, me, let, me, let me hold up, Gordon. Let me say this. Go ahead. Go ahead first, I want to say, if you if if you look at all of those pictures where you've seen the Klansmen hanging a black man and setting him on fire. They had their little boys there. Mm -hmm. They were teaching their kids how to hate. Mm -hmm. So you might have some that didn't like that. You know what I'm saying? And you had those that grew up with hating black people that were racist. So I, I'm, I'm not gonna say he was racist. I mean, hell, how many black guys he got on his football team? But what do that matter? You know, right. they play football, they make him money. But I'm not finna sugarcoat it and say, he looked like he was old enough to know what the, why he was there mm -hmm. and what, what the situation was about. So I'm not gonna say they weren't racist at that time. He probably was. Mm -hmm. But as he got older, oh, that shit ain't no good. It ain't this and it's not that. So mm -hmm. maybe he changed. But right. the fact of the matter is he was there. And his pops or grandfather, whoever he was with, I'm guarantee you he was with somebody in the family or friends. He knew exactly what was going on. So, you know, we 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 as black people are quick to say, oh no, they not racist, or they bullshit. Come on, man, let's 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 stop doing that. Let's stop doing that. Let's stop sugarcoating shit. And LeBron James actually stood up and said, Why y'all didn't ask me about the photo? Right. Why y'all, when, when, when what's his name did this or what's his name did that? Y'all want to ask me what's my take on it? Yeah. That's really exactly. right. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's yeah. what I was going to go into because my thing is this. Him being in that era, I'm pretty sure his parents are racist as hell. Yeah. I don't know. And you know, my thing is this. By me not knowing him, I'm giving him kind of the benefit of the doubt. Because he, he could have evolved through his dealings with, because like you said, he's yeah. a professional football, so he's dealing exactly. with black people all day, every day. He has to. 
Seventy percent of the league is black. You right. know what I'm saying? So who's to say that he didn't change? But his relationship with these black players that he has is strictly monetary. He needs them to win games. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't care how racist a white person is. I don't care how racist a black person is. Mm-hmm. The color of green nullifies any previous beef that you may have in some cases. Right. Yeah. You know, in some cases, because you got some people that's like, I don't give a damn how much money it is. I'm not messing with no niggas. That's true. It's so about there. accountability, right? Mm-hmm. So let's be accountable for our shit. You you in this picture, you're not there at a at a football pep rally. You 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 know what you're there for. You're old enough to know what you're there for. You know what I'm saying? And and that's just saying, here go a picture, he's in it, it's a clans meeting. Everybody gotta say, yeah, that's what it is. So don't go say that, that picture was 45 years ago. So that ain't him no more. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the fuck he is. But we are quick to bash our own people first before yeah. we even really, before reality hit when it comes to a white person. What I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm not racist. I was married to a white woman. So I, I ain't racist. But we got to look at our own shit before everybody else i mean i think you know it's not necessarily a disreputable moment for him uh because we got to understand the error not to let him off the hook um you know not to absolve him of anything but at the same time think about it man we all grow we all like man listen i was a gangster rapper right so if you go and look at one of my solo album covers from the 90s I mean, I'm holding guns, I got braids, I'm posing with a butt naked chick holding a a chopper, all of that, right? Um, That's 20 plus years ago. That's not where I'm at now. That's that's not me now, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think we have to allow people to be able to grow. Um, And especially when you talk about context, you know, me being from Kansas City, Missouri, you know, that's a place where you're made to feel your color. It's the Midwest. So, you know, there's still, white people that still refer to black people older you know his age they still say color you know what i mean now you give them a pass because you understand they don't mean it like that you understand they come from a different era so um so i think that the fact that you know we don't know what his heart is you know what i'm saying we we, we don't know how he's evolved i mean like like still said you you know you could give him the benefit of the doubt but right. The other side of that, though, is what LeBron brought up is a great point, is the fact that, you know, come on, let's be fair. That's all we're saying. Let's be fair. So the That's same way saying. that we get crucified and we get dealt with so heavy handedly because of our perceived missteps, let's not get quiet with his. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just 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 give it the same light. That's all we're saying. Let right. it give it the same fire that you gave Kyrie, that you give all of us if we you know, make a mistake or whatever the case may be. Because we don't get the, we don't have the luxury of getting the benefit, getting the benefit of, the doubt. of the doubt. And you know, and I always try to be bigger just because someone else is ignorant. Right. I don't like to respond in kind with the same ignorance. Right, right. You feel what I'm exactly. saying? Especially doing sure. what we do, right? So for sure. I, I want to read Jerry Jones' response to LeBron James. You know, LeBron James scolded the media Wednesday for failing to ask him his feelings about an old resurfaced photo from 1957 of Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones at a desegregation protest at North Little Rock High School when Jones was a freshman at the school. 
Jones said he was at the protest out of curiosity rather than arguing to keep his school segregated. But James wondered why he was not pressed on the topic. Despite James's criticism of the Cowboys owner, Jones responded by praising the NBA superstar. First of all, you have to hear me say how much I think of LeBron. I don't know of anybody that I respect more. I don't know of anybody that's taken every opportunity he's had and maximized it. Not only has he been a great ambassador for sport, he has taken sports, he has taken his venues and used those platforms. Certainly he has influence and just because of all of the above, his accomplishments, how he's utilized his sport and how he's utilized his platform, how he's done it, he has enhanced basketball. He's made a lot of people money. I hope I have too. James right. asked reporters, and see, that was kind of a slick thing he threw in. I made a it lot was. of people money. I, yeah, but those people yeah. have made you even more money. For yeah. every five or ten million dollars that you paid someone, Mr. Jones, you turned yeah. around and turned that into billions of dollars. So don't exactly. act like you're just giving somebody something exactly. because I'm gonna tell you this about football. You are a piece of product. They don't mind yeah. about moving you around, waving, trading, you cutting, you bringing you back sometimes the same day because you are looked at like a product. You are like a can of Coca-Cola, a can of Pepsi. You have no more rights as a human being. So for him to sit up there and say that, it was kind of like a little backhanded yeah. thing. And if you're not yeah. careful, you wouldn't have caught it. Yeah, he was flexing. He was flexing a little bit. Um, I, I think he, he could have gave a more humble response to that. I think LeBron handled that very very well very tasteful very graceful um and but still got his point you know he still got his point across um i agree bro I, all i'm saying is listen jerry jones i mean we all should be allowed the the room to grow we should all be allowed the room to make mistakes you know what i'm saying and come back from that um and as james said at the beginning bro you know hate is taught that's a learned behavior you know what i mean right. so we get it if you come from that era listen i share a personal experience i you know, the gym I used to go to, Powerhouse in Chatsworth, right? Um, you know, it's a lot of skinheads and shit up that way. It was a little young white guy that had swastikas all on his neck, all on his arms and shit. So, of course, I'm kind of looking at him sideways. Um, at some point, he comes over to me and he speaks to me. You know, he start asking me about working out. So I'm kind of like, like, bro, I don't, you know, I, I wasn't really comfortable with that. So he peeped that and he goes on to explain his situation and, you know, his mother and his father was racist. Um, you know, that's how he was taught. That's how he grew up. He grew up in juvenile. He had just got out of prison, but he ended up marrying a Puerto Rican woman. So they they just quit fucking with him, you know. So him getting out into the world away from that bullshit, he started seeing that, wow, all that shit they taught me was bullshit. And so mm -hmm. he told me, he said, I keep this on me to start the conversation. Because I know what people are thinking, just like what you was thinking, right? Right. And long story short, he ended up becoming my little partner. You know what I'm saying? So when people would see us talking, you know, he was super cool. And I kind of mentored him, too. He was super cool. But, you know, that's it was learned. But he 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 pivoted. You know what I'm saying? He did the work on himself. He unlearned the bullshit and became a productive citizen. So I think we all should be allowed that. You know what I mean? But, yeah, that Jerry Jones with that reply. That was some slick shit, though. I yeah, think because he, he said that LeBron, because pretty much what he said was at the end, and I'm just going by what he said again. Yeah. These are his words. I'm not embellishing on nothing I read. No, real. I read it, too. Yep. The thing is, what he said is that LeBron has made a lot of money. Yeah. So that's pretty much him saying, what are you talking about this for? You're yeah. rich. 
You don't right. have to worry about this. This is no concern of yours. And yeah. I've made a lot of people money too. Yes, you have. But in the process, you've made your money because I haven't seen J J Jones go come out here to the ghetto and just go to Compton and give somebody a million dollars and walk down the street. Right. Here's a million for you. Here's a million right. for you. So you haven't given anyone anything. Right. And right. I say that respectfully. This, this to be acknowledged is you got to be rich for it to come out in social media opposed to people living around it every day. They got a they got a they got this guy do these skits on YouTube. And he walk up to black people and say, Pass me that coat, boy. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. This is, yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah. they say boozy, one of his little partners yeah. or one of his yeah. kids Black. fired on the dude. Yeah. But uh -huh. why promote shit like that? Why even prank like that? You feel yeah. me? With 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 the way the world is today, that's not a joke. It's not mm -hmm. a joke. And, and Jerry Jones, 45 years ago, I mean, who, who really care? The man is old, the man is rich, the man is bam. But it's it's, it's just crazy how people point out shit. Yeah, I, it's but, the, it's the, I think like we said, bro, it's the hypocrisy. I think everybody has common sense to know that it was so far, it was so long ago, he was young. He probably, it's, nobody knows unless you were there. I know, but, but what the, I'm the, saying, if, if you labeled, you labeled. If a bit, if, yeah. if somebody seen my penitentiary picture right. from 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 30 years ago, right. they gonna say I'm a thug. Exactly, exactly. When yeah. I'm 75, they gonna say that he's a thug. Yeah, which is bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Because we all got a past. The same motherfucker but, but, that was born like you said earlier. I've grown mm -hmm. up. Exactly. I've grown up out of that. So why put me? Why, why still say the same thing? Why put me in that category? Why? That's human, that's human nature. People love to hold people to standards they can't hold themselves to. Because the thing about it, the same person that will point the finger at you. And, you know, I used to tell my old lady this, like, right, with, with Tiger Woods. When Tiger Woods was holding, a, uh, uh, you know, that big old thing, explaining himself and, you know, his personal life. I'm like, that's nobody's business but him and his old lady. And I right. said, if I had Tiger Woods money and resource, you know what I would have did? Out of see, it's different. It's different when you know what I mean. When the when the rabbit got the gun, I'd have held a press conference with everybody that wanted something to say. I'd have spread a bunch of money around and have somebody look into everybody's shit and find the most unflattering thing about them. And the first person that raised their hand and asked me some silly shit, I'd have said, "Okay, hand me his file. Hand me his file." And I would have went in there. Yeah. Oh, so you like boys. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you got caught with such and such. Yeah, it was 30 years ago, but it still happened. I bet you nobody else would ask a question. Nobody yeah, would raise their hand because they don't know what you know. You know, everyone so that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing about it. People have to stop trying to hold people to standards they can't. We are all flawed. All of, all of us fall short. All of us have done unflattering things. Some of us have had to live it out in the public, but we're human. Like, you know what I'm saying? So but but I'm not absolving him, Jerry Jones, from being held accountable equally as we do when that's we it. make a misstep. That's and it. that's it, and that's all. That's it. And, that's you know, it. and holding someone accountable is not the act of passing judgment. It's holding right. accountable. And to be honest with you, him being in the position that he's in, the moment that came out, he has the money, he has the resources, right. he should have had his publicist in this office. Right. I need NBC News here today. I'm going right. to address this stuff. Hey, I was a little kid, and I just happened to be at the school, want to know what's going on. Right. But 
this is what I have done in, in racism. He could have used that really as a moment to show that, you know exactly. what? I'm not that same person anymore because I've known people um, that were initially racist because that's the that's how they were raised. That's the right. community they come from. Right. I have a good friend. Me and him have been friends for maybe 30 years from now. His name is Kevin O'Connell. Mm-hmm. He's a truck driver. Now, he actually owns several trucks in the Philadelphia area. has his own business, right? Mm-hmm. But when I first met Kevin, Kevin was a straight-up redneck. He was from Boulder, Colorado. He hadn't, there was only one black person on his high school football team. You know, we were teammates. And we wound up becoming good friends through all of the turmoil we initially went through because he was a big, swole white boy. I was a big, swole young black dude. I didn't like him. He didn't like me. Luckily, we never handed out because Kevin was one of them tough white boys. You know, you from the Midwest court. We got some white boys back there to fight your oh, ass. You know what I mean? They, they no, would they fight. Scared. They ain't scared of you. Yeah, they will let you know what's on their mind and they will go, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we wound up, he came one day and gave me a soda. That was his little gesture. We was at the practice and he came and gave me, a, it wasn't a soda, it was a can of Gatorade. That's when they had him in a can. Good looking out. We were roommates. Mm-hmm. We wound up becoming cool. And for that two years that we was together, became the best of friends. He eventually went on to San Jose State playing football. Actually dated a few black girls during his time out there but that was because he was finally around black people to actually get to know black people yeah and it wasn't what he's heard his whole life because he Mm -hmm. had a racist father and i'm gonna go even deeper his mom wound up coming out because we had a rough out here man you know we were starving students you know his mom wound up moving to california because she had divorced his father now who i heard was a racist man but when I tell you that Moms was the sweetest lady in the world, actually wound up taking me in that year too. So I went from eating top ramen every night to having, she was taking care of me. She made him a plate, I got one. Me and her, Miss Marlene O'Connell, shout out to her. She lives yeah, in Utah welcome. right now. So you have people who grow and learn. This mom obviously was never racist. Yeah. Because she treated me like her own. She still had talked to me sometimes. If I was cursing online, now Norm, you know I raised you better than that. Yeah, she's a great person. So you do have people. Everything is just not. You have to look at people's situations sometimes and their origins. Because right. to be honest with you, where I come from in the Midwest, Cleveland, Cleveland was very segregated. Even mm-hmm. when they implemented the segregation, it was the white guys stay on their part of town. Mm-hmm. The brothers was on yep. the east side, and the Puerto yep. Ricans was kind of up north. But they kind of integrated with us. You know, some we kind of right. kicked with each other. You know what I mean? You had. Mm-hmm. Brothers going over to the holler at the Puerto Rican girls. You, you know, you had the Puerto Rican guys coming and holler at the sisters, right? So we so, all didn't deal with this shit, huh? Yeah. Because I, I, I swear to God to you, my story is a little different because what made me really change and see that it is some good white people out there, it was two police officers having to be married. Uh Greg Caden and his wife, Donna. And when they took me to Australia, it was a whole different fucking world for me because this lady treated me like a son. You know what I'm saying? And their son was there. And I felt like part of their family. This is how yeah. she treated me. And it was so fucking weird to me because why is this white lady acting like that? Why is Greg so open? Man, I swear to God. I had to take my shot 
my insulin shot. And Greg was so curious about, wow, like you really do this? Can I can I give you a shot? I just want to know how to do it. Yeah, you can get a shot to me. So he ministered my shot. And it, it was like he was teary-eyed. And I'm like, man, I felt something right then and there. It's like these white people really felt, these two people, this family really feel like they I'm in their heart, like I'm good. So I started calling myself the uh what's the what's the movie with the black dude football player? The blind side. Oh, blind side. No, did uh Michael Orr Piccolo? The Orb story. Michael Orr, that's the blind side. That's the So I got to calling myself Michael because that's (laughs) that's how they treated me. So you know. For anybody to sit and sit here and say all white people are bad, that's bullshit. No, that's bullshit. That's they taught me totally different, and yeah. I've never experienced that with a white family. That were police yeah. officers. That that was totally different from me. Yeah, background the whole nine. So all of them ain't bad, brother. All of them. No, ain't bad. I can remember. I can remember coming up. You know, I mean, me in Kansas City, Missouri like Steele said in the Midwest, like it wasn't a melting pot, like how LA is, you know, it was mainly white and black and you had a few Mexicans, uh, you know, kind of off in the cut on the West side. But for the most part, I, I grew up in the hood, you know, I wasn't exposed to any other cultures until like Steele said, when they started that, uh, they started the magnet program uh, in like the late eighties in Kansas city. So I got, I got bus to kind of a mixed school, it was still predominantly black, but um, it was still, you know, I, it was the first time I've been around white people. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, in my household, bro, I didn't really, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, my mother didn't talk much about race growing up. Like what I learned about race relations and white people and other cultures were as just through life experience. You know, when I got out into the world, you know what I'm saying? Like my, I didn't grow up in a household where my mother was the white man, the white man, the devil. I never had those conversations. So. Uh, what I learned is what people showed me and, you know, and, and what I what I did, what the world has shown me is, listen, man, everybody messed up. It's, it's good people and bad people in every culture, to be very honest with you. Uh, right. I've ran I've run across, you know, some of my own kind that I don't want to deal with. I've run across white people that are assholes. You know what I mean? And to to, to James's point, I ran across like even with police. I ran across some cool white cops, you know, that actually gave me a pass when they shouldn't right. have, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, you know, people are people, but, you know, as it like going into what you're saying still with the desegregation, I think the magnet program, uh, at least in Kansas city was kind of the start of trying to, I guess, create this melting pot, you know what I'm saying? Cause before that it was just, you went to your neighborhood school, you know, mm-hmm. whatever school was in, you know, so, but, but again, you understand the infrastructure of schools, you know, the education is different in the lower income uh, uh, areas, you know what I'm saying? Because that's where the tax dollars, you know what I'm saying? The tax dollars, they get allocated more to the suburbs and where the money is. Um, so, yeah. And I think um, a lot of people were raising hell about that very issue right there about, you know, tax dollars being allocated to the more influential areas. Mm-hmm. So is this one of those things, too, that the more I learn about politics, too, the reason why they get their taxed at a higher rate, they actually pay the taxes in their community to make 
those schools better and things of that nature. And um, one of the things I remember is this. I was highly educated. You got to remember, I had been around nothing but black people my whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Me too. So when I you know, went to Charles Orr Elementary, we got bust there. Right across the street from the school, directly across there, there was a white supremacist building. I never will forget it. It had the flags on there. And I was too young to really process what was going on, right? Mm-hmm. But I had a couple of white boys, mm-hmm. and they were the typical like white stoner type of kids, right? They had never run around black, been around black people either. One of these kids said something. We were out in the thing playing kickball, and this white guy said, man, I want you to come stand in my front yard and hold this light. And he was laughing, him and this other white dude. And I didn't know what that was, man. I didn't know what they were talking about. You know what I mean? You know, they used to have these little things like some of the people in Ohio had these little things like light. They were like little like um, gnomes or elves, but they were yeah. painted with black faces on them to hold these lights, right? Mm. To hold these lights. And I guess that's what a term, I, I guess that's what a term forks go for. Oh, wow. Or whatever okay. they had these little things. So when he said that, my friend Bam told me, I think that's what dude called you when we was playing kickball. You know, on the way back home, we passing these houses and stuff, right? And they're nicer homes than we're accustomed to seeing. You know, we live yeah. in the inner city, so I'm looking at all these nice houses with the freshly manicured lawns, man, and it just they look nice. It's like, man, I want to live on that side of town when I get grown. You know, right, when you come right. from poverty and you've never been exposed to anyone. And I go back and see those houses now, and I'm like, man, they regular piece of shit houses. You know what I mean? My right. house shitting on this shit. But when literally you don't see no difference, you coming back to your home, which is a little less opulent, you know, to say the least. You come back to your house or whatever like that, and you're like, man, they really living up over there. But I saw that, right? My friend Bam showed me what it was that he was referring to me as. And I went out there, man, the next day, that dude didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I said, man, what did you call me yesterday? He said, bro, I didn't call you nothing. I said, you said I need to be in your front yard holding the light. I saw that little thing you saying that's me, and I just bombed on Bing, 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 bing. Me and that dude, Danny, wound up being friends after that, bro. Yeah, yeah. And I never will forget the reaction when he brought me to his house. My mom was scared to death because she was she was saying, yeah, you're going to stay the night over my house, bro. You're going to stay the night over my house. It's cool. His mom was cool with it. Sisters was cool with it. Everybody was cool. But the dad was kind of really indifferent. He didn't really greet yeah. me when we came to the table. He just said, why don't you and your friend go to your room and eat? I guess that means he didn't want me at that table for whatever reason. But I had a good time over his house that weekend, and I learned a lot, man. I learned that they weren't really rich, bro. They wasn't. They was living the same way we were living, but they were white. Right. And that's right. when it kind of like struck in my head. I said, this dude is kind of going through the same thing I go through because his mama sent this to the store, and he was trying to hide the fact that he had some food stamps. Mm-hmm. That's when we had food stamps back in the day. He had some cash and food stamps. He was trying to hide them look. You know, he used to hide the food stamps back in the day. You never wanted to see nobody. You never wanted right. to let nobody see you in the yeah. store with food stamps. Yeah. Everybody was on, but everybody always bagged when they caught somebody with them, even though their mamas was using them too. <laughs> right. So, right. He was kind of embarrassed, man. But I realized, I said, man, this dude is going through the same shit as me. Uh-huh. Ain't that, ain't that funny how that works, though? I mean, just kind of to your point about the food stamps, because when you get grown, you looking for who's selling food stamps? Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, hopefully, you know, it's past the 10-year period. But I have yeah. been known to, you know, give somebody a couple of dollars to help them out with their rent or whatever yeah. like that and take their card and go do my thing with it, you yeah. know? Yeah, but it's funny how that works. 
Yeah. But it's all based on property, man. And um, I, I'm not really at liberty. I'm not qualified to say if segregate if desegregation worked or didn't work. I just know for me personally, it was my life experiences that made me start processing my surroundings different mm -hmm. and realizing that every white person is not necessarily evil. Every white person ain't racist. And right. I think what it's all about, man, it's all about educating yourself, right? Right. Yeah. Because you hear certain stereotypes about people. And I implore, I encourage anybody out there that got thoughts in their head about different people, go study them. They've got a little something in every city in America. They got a little Italy. They got a little China in every city in this country, dude. They got a part of town where ethnic right. people stay. Go try to figure them out and go see what their lifestyle is. And they probably going through the same stuff you're going through, if not worse. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience. And stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah Yeah Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? 
That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't you think in the white household, they saying the same thing we saying, all Black saying, Evil, all blacks ain't bad. Mm-hmm. Everybody is that. all the way around the board, but you know, it's conversations like this that brings it out. And you know, I can honestly say I don't think people relate to what we're talking about. Only our people. They, yeah. you would think the opposite side would be like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They. It's crazy how yeah. I think about it because. I really didn't have to deal with white people when I was growing up. You know what I'm saying? I knew my place. And just when Roots came out, we beat up all the white kids in school. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I started seeing, oh, they do black people like that for real? And we went to school angry. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's, it's how you brought up, man. And and how you thought your process was back then, because I didn't I didn't really trip off the shit back then. Like in Compton, motherfuckers was getting bussed to Dominguez and and uh, Centennial and shit like that. We weren't getting sent to a white neighborhood to go to school. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? And you know me, I didn't go to school anyway. I, I had to hang out in the hood and kick it so nobody wouldn't come through. But <laughs> no, for real. And you though. know, you know, the crazy thing is, I, I can't even again coming from Kansas City, where I mean, it's very, you know what I mean. It's that Bible Belt. It's them. Oh, you know, they say they when you hear a motherfucker from Kansas City say Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, and they say Negra, you know, you dealing with them kind of white folks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard the whole but, Negra thing in Ohio as well. Yeah. So, so I, honestly, I can't even remember the first time that I was called you know, the N-word from a white person. I want to say I was an adult. Um, I want to say I was in Joplin, Missouri doing an in-store. I think I was a rapper. I believe that was the first time. And uh, my partner, J-Dub, he smashed dude. Like, he smashed him, right? Dude had it coming. But to speak to your point of what you were saying with desegregation, I think that 
I think that like, if you look at Tulsa, Oklahoma, I think there was a benefit to us having our own community. Uh, I think there was an economic empowerment there, you know, Mm -hmm. because the dollar could stay in the community longer. You know what I mean? Um, so I think there was a level of empowerment there. But again, when you start talking about the, the systematic, the systems in place where we couldn't really thrive because you got to think we couldn't share in home ownership because of redlining. You know what I'm saying? So um, so what happens is, you know, now us moving like if you think about it, you know, white people usually move to where the jobs are. Black people want to move to where white people are. You know what I mean? So there was this thing, I think, coming out the redlining to where, you know, blacks wanted to share in home ownership and move to the suburbs. And now that's, I think, where you kind of breeded the the bougie middle class black person. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Because like I said, they wanted to, you know, it was and it was all, you know, in the name of home ownership. So I think once we took the the dollar, the black dollar out of the community where it didn't cycle through the community enough times to where like how you had the Tulsa or how Jewish people do. You know, that's the thing about Jewish people. That's what they do do. They spend money within their culture and, you know, it keeps their their economic um, nucleus thriving. You know what I mean? So I think that that's that's probably the the con of that. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, you know, fast forward as we talk about gentrification, like even myself, you know, I own, you know, umpteen properties and I think even with the gentrification, I think it's good. It's good when the community can share in that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I think it work it works against when when the community is is, you know, when they're squeezed out because the mm-hmm. property taxes go up so much that they can't afford, you know what I mean? They can't mm-hmm. afford to keep their property and then there there's infrastructure that's built around the community that they can't even afford to patronize. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? The whole foods and shit like that. I think that's where it becomes a problem, you know, well, and you, I believe, I believe that in, in desegregation is kind of, you know, hand, it kind of works hand in hand. You know, you saying that comes to a point I was going to bring up. If you go to, to the Nickerson Gardens right now, mm-hmm. and I forget what street it is, James, but if you go down one of the black street, back streets over there, they are building very nice um, condominiums back there. Yeah, they are. And these things have been empty for a while now. You can tell they're just kind of building back this way and they're going door to door asking people if they want to sell their homes. Some of these homes have been in people's families for generations since the 50s and 60s. So you got people thinking, you know what, I could sell grandma's house for half a million dollars and move to Atlanta or whatever happens. So you're getting a lot of that happening, right? And they're even talking about tearing the Nickersons down eventually. If you notice, the NFL is in Inglewood right now. And that part of Watts is very central to Los Angeles because you you can go down Imperial and hit L.A. James. And be from where I'm at now, I live in the suburbs. You know, I live in Downey, right? Yeah. So you can really take that street down all the way through there and be downtown quick, like fast. Well, and- Imperial, they built a hill. You got to go up a hill now. Mm-hmm. Back in the days, Imperial was straight flat, straight through. But what happened mm-hmm. was, you know, white people can go, couldn't go up Imperial. And and be stopped at a light. They was so getting they that hill for them to just go through there and up. Yes. Yeah, so now you can go over the bridge and you just go over that shit. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And then when you come down, you're right there. But in that part, that just that section there, you couldn't you couldn't stop at a red light. 
No, no, they not had, at all. He was going to snatch out your car and everything else. Yeah, snatching your purse, snatching you out the car. So now that they got the Inglewood is fixed up, they coming all the way back towards mm-hmm. that part of L.A. Well, you know yeah. what I'm Straight I'm up in the area. I'm going to tell and, you what you go see, though, James. Not to cut you off, but this is important. I'm going to let you get back and land on what you go land oh, yeah. on, right? They are, it's almost like the community has been trashed on purpose for several years just to get the values down. Now they're moving everybody out to Palmdale. And I guarantee yeah. you in the next 10 years, 15, 20 years, that area of Watts is going to be one of the premier areas of L.A. as far as property. Go yeah. ahead, James. You was laying on some important stuff. I just wanted to get that off. Transformation is a motherfucker, just like in Compton. They rebuilding Compton, but they changing the names in Compton, Dominguez Hills, shit like that. So, from from having the the, the stadium, they coming all the way from Inglewood, all the way back towards Watts. Mm-hmm. So they want people to move out of there because, see, the white people. It was good for them when they was living there at that time. Now they moved out and they they moving where's earthquakes and all this other shit, or it's so many miles away from their jobs. They love that part of town, so they rebuilding that town. They, the train stations are yeah. totally different now, so they rebuilding and they moving out, moving people mm-hmm. out, and this is where everybody coming: Victorville, Palmdale. Yep. Bardstow. Yeah. So, Landcap. Yeah, we're being pushed back this way. Mm-hmm. All LA is gonna be for that. They downtown LA trying to clean it up. Because Brian, this, they have cleaned it up a great lot. Well, it, it's gonna take them a minute because mm-hmm. it is what it is. But yeah, especially Skid Row. I don't know if they ever be able to fix that. But you know, the thing about it is I travel a lot, bro. And what I can say, bro, listen, it's in every city, bro. And in New Orleans, same thing. Kansas City, Miami, all these 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 places that we knew to be the hood. You know what I mean? Like it's places in Kansas City, bro, where I know for a fact in the 90s it was a trap. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, we had spots over there. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you know, it, even in my hood, the hood that I'm from, now I go back, I see white people walking their dogs. You know, I see, you know, uh, different. I mean, it's almost like a whole new city. Um, well, but like it's I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing. Like I said, it's a great thing if the existing community can hold on to their properties. If they can, if they understand the bigger picture, right? Because I'm an investor, right? So I see a bunch of investors in the, in the inner city, right? I started buying properties in the hood in the 90s, you know, that I still have, right? So it wasn't hardly no white investors for real, for real, you know, but now you you see all these white boys working on their houses and I tell the residents there that been there that, that own their shit, you know, like I still got a lot of family there and this is in every city. I say, man, hang on to your shit, hang on to your shit because the comps are gonna, the value is gonna skyrocket, you know what I mean? Like this is your investment right here. That's real. That's You've real. been here you know, 30 years, hell, you might as well stay, you know, 20 years, whatever it yeah. is, because them building up that infrastructure around you, that's a good thing. So if the property taxes, they're going to shoot up, but the property taxes is what's going to keep that, you know, the neighborhood together. It's going to make it better. You know what I mean? So the schools, all of that. So, you know, I, I anybody listening, man, if, if your people 
or even yourself. If you in the hood and they building it up and you keep getting them letters of them trying to give you pennies for your house, man, keep it. You know you got something. Yeah, they, that's why they own you, because you got something. And, right. and the people they're targeting, Corp, those opportunities to them are so lucrative that they feel like they're going to miss out something. You know, a man came by and said, you know, we're talking about the Midwest. A man came by and said, he's going to give me 70000 for the house. Yeah. And they taking that money and they and they leaving, right? I'm gonna tell you what happened in Cleveland. You even have instances of people stealing houses through nefarious means, right? Let me tell yeah. you what happened. So when my mom and my stepdad got divorced, right? Mm -hmm. He moved down to Florida, and my mom moved to the hill. She moved to Bedford. You know, she started doing better for herself, and she moved. First thing we do when we get some money is we want to move to the hills, to the yeah. heights, or whatever, yeah. right? So she moved to Bedford. So she was renting the house out that we grew up in to my um, one of my uncles. He eventually got married and went and bought his own house. So she had it at Section 8 for a minute, but the people that tore the house up so bad, she was just really, even though Section 8 would always come back in and just fix everything, you know, this is the home she raised her kids in. So she was just really just kind of flustered. They don't put holes in the walls. You know, some like yeah. all Section 8 people are bad, but yeah. Section 8 people, man, for some reason, man, if they don't own it, they will go tear your shit up, dude. I'm talking about to the point to where the people that even stole the copper pipes. You know, in the Midwest, how no, we got the copper man. pipes. They, they, just, and they yeah. just, they stole the copper pipes. They was moving out. They stole the copper pipes. So yeah. my mm -hmm. mom, pretty much, we owned the house outright. I think they had only paid 15, 20,000 for the house. But the work that my stepfather had did through the years on that home, it wound up becoming one of the premier homes in the neighborhood, kind of, because he, you know how it was in the Midwest. We yeah. had the closed in front porch, man. We had the oh yeah. The the, oh, the yeah. um y'all was the, the hospitals and shit. If you had yeah. the closed in front porch. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had the closed in front porch, yeah. the um yeah. the, the back porch with the screens and stuff. You know how it was in the Midwest where you sit there and you don't Rich yeah, you don't want the, the mosquitoes <laughs> to come in and stuff, bro, with yeah, the pop bottles baby, back yeah. and everything. So, man, when I tell you, man, that I asked my mom one day, just happened to be talking to her, like, Mom, what's up with the house? Because I was thinking, me, because I took my, what was really had me start the conversation, I called myself taking my kids back to the hood, like, yeah, I'm going to show y'all where I grew up at. Y'all motherfuckers spoil. We go over there, and I'm like, damn. First, I don't even recognize every street because we've always had very big houses over there. Like, if it wasn't a five or six bedroom house, it was a duplex. You know, the side houses that sit side yeah, by side. side, right? by side. Yeah. yeah, the side by side. You either had the side by side or the top on top to where you had one level down here to where people lived. Then you had some stairs where people would go upstairs and live, right? So they had took Cleveland Clinic and went to buying all that property around there and doctors moving there. So I'm looking at my old house. I'm like, damn, this motherfucker is nice. You feel what I mean? The back area that had all the bottles and bushes growing because between us and the next street in the backyard, you would be able to see over my back fence, it was like an empty lot. It's a bunch of empty lots, right? And the grass that grew so high, they never did that, man. They've made that like a dog walking park now and everything. And so I got to ask my mom, like, mom, what's happening? You didn't tell me you fixed that. She says, honey, I haven't owned that house in 10 years. You know what happened, bro? They sent my mom a tax bill for $500. For $500, bro. They, they, I guess they didn't have Pops Ford in their address or whatever, hers, but 
it wound up being a thing. They wound up pretty, Cleveland Clinic wound up taking that house from my mom. They wound up building a, a $600,000 house. And you know, in, where we live at in California, that's a drop in the bucket now, especially right. in the inner city, you know, in the cities, you know? Right. You got to move way out to get something decent for 600000 right? Mm-hmm. Over there, you know, Kansas City, Cleveland, the $600,000 houses, the epitome of excellence. You feel you what I mean? Got you, just, you got a lake with your own fish in it, all kind of shit. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I said, how did that happen? So I started doing research because I said, this just can't be right. Come to find out, man, one of the first black theater owners in America owned a theater called the Scrumpty Dump, which is on 105, which is a big area in which the Cleveland Clinic occupies now, right? So I guess it started back in the 80s, their takeover. They wanted to own everything that was around there. They messed around and trumped up some charges on this cat that owned the Scrumpy Dump. And the Scrumpy Dump was very important. If you Google this, right, I implore everybody to go out there and Google the Scrumpy Dump. That was the name of the place, right? There were $1 movies, and you can go for two for one on a Saturday. So my mom would take me there and my brothers because it was a cheap form of entertainment. But all they showed was black exploitation movies. It was once an X-rated adult theater that he had converted over into a regular movie theater. So when they had the premiere, do you remember we went to the period to where the black Hollywood was cracking? You know, they had Superfly. They had all these black exploitation movies, right? So that was one of the like premiere stops when they had it to where that was a big deal. Ron O'Neill and them came up there and walked the red carpet, right? Mm Mm-hmm. They wound up trumping some charges up on his brother, man, and he wound up going to jail for two months. It was just enough time for them to dig enough stuff to say, well, he owes these taxes. They really had to dig and do some forensics, right? And they wound up taking that man's movie theater from him. It was a landmark. That That's the type of place that should still be there, that should have got regentrified. It was right next to Woolworth. It was in a prime location. That part of Cleveland now, is almost unaffordable. All the people that lived there before can't afford to live there anymore. And I'm going to tell you, the one guy that came up, one of my best friends, his grandfather lived at the end of the street. And it was so funny when I went, the last time I was there, you still had that little three-bedroom house in the midst of all these five and six and eight-bedroom houses, right? Because mm-hmm. he refused to sell. He yeah. even pulled his pistol on a couple of dudes and said, if you come around here ask me about my shit again, Yeah. You give me the money I want for it. He told them he wanted $400,000 for that house. They kept yeah. trying to give him the 40s. Well, you missed it. You only paid 10000 for it back in 1960. You come. He said, no, not no more. Y'all don't build all this shit around me. I can stay right where I'm at. He said, as a matter of fact, I'm up. I might just get me some money out of my house and build me one of these scar faces. That's what he called I'm going to build me there one of these go. scar faces. So because the, had, comp, the comps can support that. The comps are there. You know what yeah. I mean? So it don't matter what he paid for it. The comps are the comps. So right. he held his ground, right? Mm-hmm. And they wound up giving him. And so he had a plan. He wound up. He wanted to go back to Mississippi anyway. Because everybody in Ohio was originally from Mississippi or Florida, dog. I don't know what it is, right? So he wound up selling this house, man, and getting his money and getting on, right? But I look at that, what they're doing. It's the same thing in Detroit right now. They was doing so much killing in Detroit at one time, bro. Because you know, Cleveland and Detroit kind of sister cities is so close because we used to drive up there to go buy clothes because Detroit seemed like they always got stuff that we didn't get. So when we had a little bit of money, we would take that couple hour drive to Detroit or either go to Flint, right? Mm-hmm. And go buy clothes. But 
they got the same thing in Detroit. I believe in right now in Detroit, Michigan, certain parts like an eight mile and all that, you can go buy an eight bedroom, nine bedroom house, James, for three or four thousand dollars. Damn. But you know what? <clears throat> you know what I think that should happen, bro. And this may sound fucked up, but I don't mean it with the with the racist connotation. Um, but I think that people in the hood, like the gentleman that you just talked about back home, I think if if they are gonna sell sell to a black investor or sell to mm -hmm. a black family you know what i'm saying i think that Amen. That, that that should be the course of action because again you that you know that that that's what keeps us empowered you know what i mean economically you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying sell it to another investor because again there are black investors that are doing the same thing that the white investors doing they coming in you know you know i'm an investor so yeah if i could get some shit cheaper for a good price i'm gonna get it too but you know if you're gonna do that Dump it to somebody, you know, dump it to a black person. I would have loved to have that opportunity to get the house that I was raised in to actually do what they what the Cleveland Clinic wound up feloniously doing. Yeah. I would have loved for me to have that opportunity to buy that home as a future investment for my children. Because I'm going to tell you one of the best things I did maybe six years ago is I bought a little piece of land in um, Ravana, Ohio. That's about an acre, like a little bit up under an acre, right? And it's just sitting there. It ain't making me no money. But you know what I'm starting to see? My cousin, one of my cousins, they just came and bought his land from him. Well, actually, he's on a land lease with them. Yeah. The, like the 99 cents through the Dollar Generals that they had back in the Midwest, right? Yeah. They're on a 100-year land lease with him to where they're paying him, I think, 4500 a month. And it goes up every five years by 2.5% or something like that. And I would say, if you do have land back there, do a land lease. Don't never sell your land all right. Because yeah. the thing about it, let's say that Dollar General don't make it in the area. And they decide up and move 15 mm -hmm. years from now. Now he got a building yeah. on his land as he is that he can rent out or do anything or open up his own business if he wanted to. But I'm really right now, I'm on a tick right now, you know, just thinking about all this stuff that we're really... I want to get together with a group of like-minded brothers in the next year and go to, to the Detroit, Michigans, the Cleveland, yeah. Ohio's, and just start going to go buy six, seven houses at a time. They're that cheap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially in 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 uh in Detroit. I mean, mm -hmm. all the Midwestern cities. You start an investment group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I want to start an investment group and tell people, look, it's not gonna take much, bro. I'm talking about us coming in. In some cases, fifteen hundred dollars a piece, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, you listen, don't have to start off big. Man, listen, that's how I built my portfolio. I tell people all the time, bro, to be transparent. You know, I had music money in the 90s. I had hustle money as well. And the first piece of property I bought in Kansas City, I paid $17,500 for it. It was a three-bedroom, one-bedroom, mm -hmm. one-bathroom house. I paid $17,500 for it. I think I put another maybe fifteen into it. I remember standing now. I'm like 19 years old. I remember standing in front of it, and I'm thinking, damn. Okay, I'm into this house, you know, almost 35 racks, and I'm renting it out for 600 a month. And I'm like, but shit, you know, like, how am I going to get my money back? Right. So, it, you know, the game that I was in at that time was about volume, you know. So it dawned on me, it was like, shit, okay, if I get 10 of these, you know what I'm saying? Then now that's six to 800 a month that, that I could potentially get it turns into six, 8,000. Cause mm -hmm. I just, I didn't know nothing about equity. I didn't know nothing about leveraging or any of that shit. 
But to your point, man, there was properties that I bought in Kansas City for five thousand. Because especially when you're talking cash, because what happens $5, is they, yeah, five thousand dollars. This is what I would do. This is what I would do, James. Because I had cash, right? So they would be asking twenty thousand dollars. So I would have my contractor go to the house. Sometimes he even had to break in the house, right? Go and see. The, it was an abandoned house. Go see. Give me a scope of work. So that way I would know how much I had to put into it. So I would, before I even made an offer, I would know what the work is and what it could be worth, what the comps were in the area. So I would, when you got cash, you can play hardball. So they would be like $20,000. I would say, man, I give y'all $6,000, $5,000, and I close in, in, in 48 hours. You know what I mean? And they would take it. So when you have those investment groups, which I've been a part of one before, when you pull your cash together, you're able to make those moves like that. You know what I'm saying? Because when you got the cash on debt, then you could play hardball. You know what I mean? And some of it is, you know, sometimes you can get into it and flip. But, you know, there's also those long plays like what Steele was saying. That's that's good game. What you just said, if they didn't catch it with buying land and, and leasing your land out, that's good game right there. Yeah, for sure. And stuff like this. Like, let me show you, Corp. Because they're not yeah. making land anymore. They're not making anymore. So they're not you know, making no more land. land. If yeah. you can get it, even stuff like this. Can you guys see this right here? Yeah, for sure. Look at this. But let, me, let, but let me say this. Let me say this real quick to anybody watching. But you have to be mindful. Listen, it, it, it looks cheap, right? But you still have to have the business model. You got to understand your numbers because mm -hmm. it could be for $1,500. But then when you get to see the scope of the work, you want to be careful because it could fuck around and need $60,000 <laughs> worth of work and it only comp out for 50. You so so you still got to do your homework on it. Exactly. You have to do your homework. And see, I'm showing these and, and these are more for like, even if you got a new family, right? A young family. Yeah. It's not bad. Like, look at this one right here. This is $10,000 right here, right? Right. This house, right? This particular home is some, in Wayne County, right? It's a three yeah. bedroom and it needs a lot of work. You can see the, um, a lot of um, forage outside and stuff right there. Even stuff like that, like court is exactly right. You don't know if that forage sometimes is growing under the pipes in the house. Yeah, you got to you know get the saying? cop. You got to get the cop. Like you when you see that, yeah. So so that way you know what you have to spend and what you you know. So if you know that okay, the houses that this square footage in this neighborhood are praising out when they're finished for eighty thousand dollars. So I know I need to, if I'm going to flip it or whatever I'm going to do, I know I need to be no more than 50000 in this house. That's mm -hmm. purchased and getting it, you know, renovated. So that's how you got to look at it, you know. Because you want to make a profit and, and see what I'm proposing sometimes, Corp, like you're right, exactly 100% right. You may go somewhere and the house may require $100,000 $100, worth of work in there, but it may be. The comps in the area may be only 60 or 70, right? Yeah. So you got to think about it like this. Sometimes it's cheaper for you to go there, buy those three houses, knock them all down. Mm -hmm. Once you go, you got to really do it. Access. You got to have somebody with you to know what they're doing too, right? Absolutely. Luckily, I got an uncle that's in construction and he just the one that told me, don't go because I was going to buy this little two-bedroom house that had just been sitting there for the longs that looked good on the outside. My yeah. uncle has been building houses for the last 60 years. He told me, he said, son, he said, that's a no starter right there. He said, you buy that house, it's going to be worth more trouble. He said that the thing what happened was yep. the water piping up under the house, 
Yeah, the main line. <laughs> yeah, the main yeah. line. Yeah. Foundation and yeah, it had the roots and stuff going up with it. He yeah, said, by the time you, yeah, you know what he told me, Shane? Just what you said. He said that it's caught up by the sewer or something, and it would literally cost about 250000 because now you own these people's property. You had to go dig up their property next door and all I've that, had that other stuff. Done, I've had it done a couple of times, and usually what it requires is a bobcat because they got to dig up the yard from the house to the curb, right? Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, rule, rule, anybody that want to be investor or whatever, so I have a rule, right? There's only one big thing that I'm going to fix in the house, right? So if I go, you want to check the HVAC, the foundation, the main line, and the roof. So you pick your battle. You don't want to go into a house and you got to do a roof, the HVAC, the foundation. No, you or pick a basement. One, you know what I mean? Yeah, you pick one. So so if you go into a house and it's like, damn, okay, the whole inside needs to be done. And it only needs a roof. Okay, cool. If the numbers make sense. But if you go into a house and it's like, damn, the foundation leaning, the house leaning, it needs HVAC, it needs a roof. That's too much. It's better that's off if you can get that yeah. plan for cheap. Leave that alone. It's better off making an offering, getting it knocked down and just having the land and just rebuilding all over again, man. Yeah, you unless you do the work yourself. Unless mm -hmm. you do the work yourself, then that circumvents, you know, that that's fine, whatever you choose to do. But you know, that's kind of a rule of thumb because. Yeah, you'll get in over your head. It'll be a money pit. Wouldn't even be worth it, you know? So ain't it a problem if if all the houses are nice and then you buy this house for 30 grand, you got to do all the upgrades on this house to get yeah. the comps that you want. Yeah, to bring, you bring the value to buy. it. Yeah. yeah, you bring, yeah, yeah. Which is the way you want to do it. Because when you buy a house already done and ready to go, you know, you being marked up on that. You know what I'm right. saying? The person that's buying that you buying it from, they get the value. You coming in just, you know, at market price and you got to, mm -hmm. you know, pay into the value, start paying down that mm -hmm. principal. And hopefully the comps go the other way. They go up. You know well, what I'm you, saying? So, mm -hmm. you know, I want to, um, you know, who does a pretty nice show on this same subject, man, is Envy. They have mm -hmm. an excellent financial show. It's a pretty big show, too. And a lot, they get a lot of um, ears to a shout out to the homie DJ Envy. But, um, mm -hmm. He's into that. I think him and Angela Yee had actually partnered up, and they was going out to Detroit getting, uh, yeah, for sure, you know, getting different houses yeah. and stuff. But yeah, yep. you want to get to this, and I'm telling y'all, fellas, you don't have to be a baller. You could be a regular working class dude. It's just yep. a matter of you getting with like minded people, and that's very Absolutely. important. Getting with like minded people and getting into what you can afford because it's not about going to. Everybody can't go by six or seven at the same time. You may right. have to start off one at a time. I started out with one. I started out with one. And and the thing is, there's so many other ways to acquire property, too. So sometimes it ain't just having the money. Sometimes it's all you can. You can get it and have the you can do uh, owner financing. You can do what they call with the owner carry paper. It's it's so many different ways that you can acquire property if that's what you want to do. They got hard money loans. You just have to be uh, very structured and 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 together. Um, um, you got to be prepared for the hard money loans because, again, that does a higher interest rate and you have a certain amount of time to, you know, you you don't want to be carrying mm -hmm. that high that high mortgage while you're getting it done. Because the hard money loan, they will provide you with the money to purchase the house and they give you draws to rehab the house as well. Um, well let, so, me ask you this, let me ask you a quick yeah. question. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if you have enough homes, like let's say once you get to your third or fourth home, by that yeah. point, you have a lot of equity built up. 
Isn't yeah. it true if you have a lot of equity built up in your four homes, you can walk pretty much in any bank? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because you have now, because you have collateral. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? You have collateral. And see, every all the information that I'm that I'm saying now, bro, is listen, I'm not formally educated. I graduated from high school. So all my experience comes from trial and error. I made every mm -hmm. mistake. You know what I'm saying? So it's the best university it is, bro. It's the hey, university you know what I mean? So so what I would tell people is to build your company credit. You like when I first started, I had all them properties in my name, you know, which was a mistake. I didn't know to create a corporation. A corporation. And I didn't know that, right? So um I would yeah, if you got three, four properties free and clear, man, you good. You know, you go in, you get a a, a line of credit, you know, a home equity line of credit, but you got to be responsible with it. You know what I'm saying? And then you get it in your company name, you build your company credit, and then you repeat you know, you do that. You use that. You leverage those properties because that's what, in essence, what I end up doing. You know, by the time I got to 12 properties, I had them free and clear. And that I knew nothing about credit. I knew nothing about equity. I knew nothing about none of that. It was a lady at a, at a credit union. That's the other game, too. So when you're an investor, uh, especially minority, you start banking with credit unions, those smaller banks, especially if you're a black mm -hmm. woman, believe it or not. They always have programs that are geared toward minority businesses, you know, where they mm -hmm. have to, you know, they want to give you money. They want to give you credit cards and credit, especially if you have collateral. So, you know, do your banking with smaller banks and, and, and you, you get, get a you much know, lower interest rate, a much, much lower, interest rate. much lower interest rate. Absolutely. So, you know, once you can get your hand on one or two, you know, it, like I say, it's all in what your goals are. If you want to flip them, if you want to, you know, for residual income. You know, it, it can. It, it's it's a pretty good business. It, it's got its ups and downs, but you know, yeah, I you can win. I want to on something that you said before we get. Up. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience. And stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have to share this information with other people. I'm very big about giving, you know how I am, Court. Anybody that's going to listen, I'm going to give them good information. That was one of the things. We have to get out the habit as black people of doing everything under our name. What was the first thing I had you go do, James, when we got together? Get my LLC. Get you an LLC. It's that simple. It don't cost that much. Don't yeah. fall for these things online where they say for $1,500. No, you can go get your EIN number. It takes all yeah. the five minutes. You'll get that for free. Legal zone, yeah, $200. Go yeah. yeah. Go get your stuff together. Because if stuff is not under your name, and then what this does right here, let's say you do start a massive property and mm-hmm. you start having some troubles in your life. If everything yep. is under your name, they can go after your properties and everything. But I can own fifty. I can own fifty houses around here, and if it's something about my corporation, man, I ain't got it. They can't go get the houses. They can't. They can't go get nothing. So protect yourself. (laughs) I I made every mistake, bro. I made every mistake. So I've been through that too, and that is true. Yeah. Because I learned one time when I got hit with a tax levy one time. Oh yeah. I had everything up under Norman Steele, and they came and just, and, and it was like. Never again. I learned. I said, you know what? This won't happen to me again. 
Oh, I stay on the IRS's uh little little you know hit list. <laughs> man, I stay okay. with them. Hey, I stay with them them green certified letters coming. You know what oh, I mean? So, tell you this: all I do is say, man, add that to the um to the pay repay back plan I got before. Can I add this on there? Exactly. Exactly. But the thing is, man, one thing we have to realize, man, is that there's a wealth of information out there. The internet has made all of this information yep. accessible to the common sure. man. Go sure. do your research. Like, like I'm not a real estate guru by any means. I just mm -hmm. came up on that little bit of land. I don't own no whole bunch of property outside the house yeah. that we own. And that, but I do plan on getting more because what I realized as I get older. You always have to have multiple streams of income. You can't just sit Absolutely. back and depend on one thing. I don't care how Absolutely. much money you're making with it. You right. need to have multiple things going on, stuff that won't necessarily take a lot of your time necessarily. Yep. Because passive, like me, I'm passive income. Yeah, exactly. Because like me, I'm real time stingy now. I don't have this court. You know how it is with me, man. My phone yeah. ring a hundred times a day. I got 50 million yeah. things I'm doing. So I don't have a lot of time. So little things, man, like little things. It could be something that may bring you $500 a month. We can't look yeah. at everything like the big lick. It could be something that may bring you five, $600 a month. Real Every shit. opportunity adds up to bigger opportunities. And with that mm -hmm. being said, we out of here. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Mm -hmm. I want to know because I want to grow. I want to be able to leave, like I said earlier, something for my kids, my grandkids. So how do you get into uh, flipping and and all of that buying houses and shit. How do you get into it? Because well, I've always believed you have to have a lot of money to start that. With no, nah, you you don't you don't really. I, I will say this though, James. It's a little different out here in Cali because it's it's way more expensive. I've never done it here in Cali. You know, right. um, I've always chosen the South and the Midwest because obviously the cost of living. Um, but as I said, you know, there it, it, it you know, it depends. It, it, you know, again, you got hard money situations. You got private money. Um, again, depending on how your credit is, depending on how your uh, your business credit is, you have uh, you can do a paper loans. You know, um, you can do first time investor loans. A lot of times, you just need a percentage of the money. You know what I'm saying? You don't need a lot of money. Like, say for instance, James, if I took you to Kansas City, right, or or if still took you to Ohio, you know. Um, I mean, you talking, I mean, you know, if it's a property that's, that's what, let's just say $20,000, you know what I mean? Say you got to put 10% down, you know what I mean? That's $2,000, you know what I mean? So that's 2,000 closing costs. So you might be out maybe what, maybe $3,500 or something yeah. just to acquire it. About, about 35, you see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. now when you talk about, you know, the, the, the getting it rehab, you do that as you can. What I would say is it, again, this is where having your business structured right and going to those credit unions so now once you acquire say you only got the 3500 to acquire it right but you you got it now right the mortgage on that on a twenty thousand dollar house 30-year mortgage probably going to be 185 dollars a month mm -hmm. so now you have this piece of property so now you can take that along with you already having your llc your corporation or whatever go to the local credit union and say hey i want to get a loan <laughs> i want a line of credit or i want a credit card and I have this property, you know, as leverage. So now you can get you, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? Either mo most likely in a line of credit or or a credit card that could help you get it rehab. But again, you just gotta be, you gotta be intentional and structured. So you gotta understand them numbers. You know, you know what that is, Jay. It's just like the street. 
it's just like the streets. You buy right. low, sell high, put your markup on it, and there it is. So you understand what the houses are going for in that area. And then you have to figure out if you want to sell that house to another investor or to uh, owner-occupy. Because owner-occupy, you're going to get top dollar. An investor, so it's just like the streets. You're going to sell to another wholesaler, you know what I'm saying? Or you're going to sell it to a nigga that's going to be, you know, on the corner with it. Right. So it's different prices. So it's the same thing, you know. But a couple thousand, you could definitely get into some. It'll be a little different out here. But, you know, you move into the Midwest cities, man. You couple bands, you can get it. And that was, I mean, that's what I was going to say. You don't necessarily have to stay out here, James. You have Mississippi. Um, yeah. The homie Daz has done done very well with real estate right. in Mississippi. Now, I just want something better for myself, and I'm willing yeah. to do that. To, yeah, to get where I want to go, James, no. Mississippi. Yeah, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to go back to the Midwest to the cold. You know, you got Mississippi, dude. Yeah, um, the South. I think Daz bought, yeah. bought his first house down there for like thirty-five, forty thousand dollars. This yeah. is when he was. And I think he got for. a bunch of. I think he and same thing. JT, the bigger figure, is in Alabama. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like he went to Alabama with his shit and bought up a bunch of shit. And he bought like a whole block, shit. didn't he? Yeah, yep. And it cost him that much. Even my partner Johnell from Oakland, uh, he went to St. Louis, bro, and he literally bought the whole block. He bought a he bought a school. <laughs> he bought a whole fucking school, yeah. and yeah, you know what I mean, and turned it into like a house slash a community center. You know what I mean? So yeah. you can go back to the uh to the Midwest or the South. Uh, James, but you know we can rap about it, bro. If, if okay. you need some, some guys, that's you know you got my number, bro. Yeah, that works. What you do is go on Dad's Dillinger's Instagram because he's always talking about you know Dad's done been buying Bobcats and everything else. Yeah, Dad's bought him like three acres of land when Atlanta was cheap. Atlanta started to get hot now, mm -hmm. and he bought it like when it was cheap. The lakes in the back and everything. Yeah. Now what he's doing is building. Dad's gonna build him his 12, 13 bedroom house, his retirement yeah. house, right? Mm -hmm. But behind that, he's gotten um, you know, the prefab homes. They not the mobile homes, but the prefab yeah. homes. He's putting yeah, four dollars back there. I saw because that. what he yeah. said is what he's doing is when he got guests that come over, they don't have to come in and mess up his house. Now, hey, you go take that three bedroom over there. You go take that two bedroom. Go back there with your family and be cool. Right. I think right. he even talked about building a club back there. So he said, I ain't got to go on <laughs> tour no more. Be going my backyard. Take the golf yeah. cart over there. But. Yeah. He's literally building a lot of this stuff on his own because he's acquired the knowledge over the years. Yeah. And there's a lot of information out here, James. There's a lot of good brothers that give you yeah. information. And I'm going to give you the one. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, still. Go ahead. No, just one more piece of game. When you are building your business credit, and this is nothing illegal or nothing, it's ways to get different trade lines yep. on your credit. But this is something we talk about, like kind of offline sometimes. Yeah. Yep. There's ways to add different trade lines to your mm -hmm. credit because even something as simple as like, um, I remember my first trade line dude was me getting some ink pens from this company dude with the, yeah. you know yep. my logos and stuff on yep. it. And they I did that a few times too. Yeah, they yeah. give me 60 days to pay for it. What yeah. you do is you take the 60 days, even though it's only 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you got some mugs, you got some different yep. stuff, but that establishes your credit. Then from there, you start getting bigger offers for credit. You may get a credit card that may say you got a $1,500 limit on it, right? Mm -hmm. But right. from there, it keeps going up and up and up and up. You just don't want, that's what I tell brothers, you got to make sure we got to do a better job as black people is keeping our credit in order. I have very sure. horrible credit a couple of times in life. Me too. Me too. And you know, I got it together, but you know, there it is free game for you guys out there tonight, All the time. man.
Okay. We appreciate y'all tuning in. And I appreciate y'all brothers coming to sit doing with me one more time. All the time. All the time. All the time. All the time. Salute, it's always the honor. Yeah, all Big J, always the honor. For sure. Yes, and now we officially out of here. Y'all have a blessed all right. day. All right. Salute. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of the Gangster Chronicles podcast. Be sure to download the iHeart app and subscribe to the Gangster Chronicles podcast. For Apple users, find a purple mic on the front of your screen, subscribe to the show, leave a comment and rating. Executive producers for the Gangster Chronicles podcast are Norman Steele, James McDonald, and Aaron MCA Tyler. Our visual media director is Brian Wyatt, and our audio editor is Taylor Hayes. The Gangster Chronicles is a production of iHeart Media Network and the Black Effect Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.